This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. just love the Word of God. And as we were looking at this morning, we are sitting under the rod of His Word tonight. And He's gazing into our hearts and in our spirit as we were looking at last night. Not with self-assessment, which will tell you all the wrong things, but with illumination of the Spirit that will tell you all the things that God sees and the things that He has declared you to be. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you shall not be sick, you shall be well and made whole. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. You know, that's about expectation in your spirit and your mind. You need to train your mind, train your spirit to connect with truth and uh, refuse the lie of the devil who will tell you there is no good in you. I want to tell you the goodness and the greatness of God has been planted in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, and rests in your physical body. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to be full of health in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's come to this great passage of Scripture. It's a reading from 21, verses 15 to 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. How's that going on in your life? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? The test was great. A moment of testing before Christ. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That was a different answer, wasn't it? You know all things. We looked at that last night, recognizing the omniscience, the omnipotence, the omnipresence of God, that he is all-knowing. So turn to your neighbor and say, you might as well be transparent. He knows everything anyway. (laughs) Glory. Oh, wonderful Jesus. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. What a comparison with the healing of the blind man and the prophetic statement concerning Peter's end. And as we walk through the story, we will see the significance of what is happening in Peter's life. Jesus said to this, this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Tradition tells us he was crucified upside down. So there would be no confusion between the death of Christ on the cross. 
Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that interesting that John is writing about himself? <laughs> Jesus turned and saw, the dis Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You must follow me. Hallelujah. Just turn to your neighbor right now. Look at them for a long time so that you don't watch me. <laughs> <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> I thought you were a servant, Clifford. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> uh, Sunday night we can relax. <laughs> Glory to glory to God. Let, let me just set the context of this passage of Scripture because, and remember, we do that by looking at what is happening around the passage of Scripture. We're looking at the events that uh, the, the, uh, the disciples have experienced as they gather around the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Don't forget that the disciples have witnessed the arrest the beating, the flogging of Jesus, and they have seen him carry the cross and watched him die the most barbaric and brutal deaths possible, even death on a cross. And woven into the story, just before Christ ascends to the Father, sends the Holy Spirit, and ascends to the Father, is the making and the shaping of a true shepherd. The Lord is working deeply in the heart and mind of Peter. This man who by human nature was a real self-centered hothead. He was prone to fly off the handle and needed to be in the center of everything. And there was a great deal of work to be done in the character and the nature of Peter in order that God might shape a shepherd in a fisherman. And so we see that he would be transformed into a tender, wise, and gentle shepherd, strong yet sacrificial, a servant yet absolutely solid in sacrifice to the end. We fail to remember sometimes that the disciples had walked the pathway of sorrow and pain. I've discovered something about being in the ministry and walking the pathway that God often calls us to walk. It means to choose the hard way. 
If you want to walk a smooth pathway, then don't follow Jesus closely. And the idea of the Christian life being full of roses and having no problems and waiting for Christ to remove all the problems, I don't find in the Word of God. Instead, I find the opposite. I find a faith present in the heart and the mind of those who follow Christ who are able to walk through every storm and every trial and be irremovable in their faith and confidence and hope and assurance that God will ultimately bring them through and that every situation will be turned around, not necessary for personal advantage, but for the advantage and the the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say hallelujah, isn't it great to be a Christian? After saying that, I can say it's great to be a Christian, hallelujah. There's no other life worth living. And so these men had pinned their hopes and dreams on the master, and now their hopes were dashed, as it were. They loved Jesus. They'd grown with Jesus. They'd walked through life with Jesus. They'd sat around in Costa Coffee and talked about life and the holy things that God was going to produce. They, they, he had, he had t- taught them and trained them. He'd equipped them and he'd spoken of things that would come to pass. He had taught them about the kingdom of God. And we know before... He went to be with the Father. He spent more days in his resurrected condition talking about the kingdom of God. And there in the mind of Peter, written with what appeared to be indelible ink, was a memory of a failure, a memory of having let down the one that he loved. Words in his mind that he had said robbed him of his peace and purpose. How on earth could he continue to be a follower of Jesus? Because his public statement rang out constantly in his hearing. I am not a disciple of Jesus. Was etched on his memory forever. Let's read about that in John's Gospel, chapter 18. Now, bear in mind, you are not reading a story. You are reading the truth of what happened to this man. And God was going to work such a miracle of healing and a miracle of grace in the life of this man God would produce a shepherd in a fisherman. Hallelujah. (laughs) You'll remember that statement, won't you? How wonderful. So here's the story in John's Gospel 18, 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. It's John again because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's court. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold. 
And the servants and the officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And then from verse 25, as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. That's why we know he was a hothead. <laughs> Challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Let me walk you through the remainder of this message by beginning at point one. Point one being that Jesus saw a hero in a coward. Hallelujah. Can I say to you, with the greatest of respect, you would have been no different to Peter. Because sometimes we think, how shameful. But in reality... I don't think we would have been any different. May God grant us grace to stand in times of the deepest challenge. Because they will come. Believe you me, they'll come soon. Jesus knew what Peter was through and through. But he knew the potential of what could come. He knew what, would, what it would take to change the man. And Jesus knew what Peter could become. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus knows you through and through. But tell him again, Jesus knows what you can become. Hallelujah. Now, John chapter 13 records the betrayal of Judas. But also, I said 13. Uh, am I right? No, I think it's... Um, well, look it up when you get home. <laughs> and send me an email. <laughs> Glory to God. Because I don't want to focus on that now. time. But what we have is the rec record of the betrayal, but the record of denial. Have you ever considered the difference between the two? Have you ever considered that? Because I tell you the difference. The betrayal by Judas was calculated and deliberate. Sin and Satan entered the heart of Judas. He persisted in it, even though Christ appealed by dipping bread in the cup. And the betrayal of Peter was not deliberate. He was swept away by a moment of weakness and self-protection. But Jesus knew Peter to the core of his being. He knew he was weak. He knew of his instability. He knew his mental condition. He knew he was prone to blurt things out before he'd thought them through. He knew he was that type of character. Jesus knew that no matter what Peter did, actually, in the depth of his heart, he knew Peter loved him. And I don't know what is going on in your life right now and where you are in your personal walk and detail. It may well be that you're finding the Christian life a real struggle. And there could be areas in your life where you feel that you've let the Lord down and you should have been better. And I understand that. And we all have those times. But isn't it wonderful to be able to say, I know I love the Lord. I love the Lord. That's why I sung that song tonight. 
to be able to say that with understanding right where you are and to make your love known to God. But also, Jesus knew that he would have to carve deep with the sword of the word in the heart and mind of Peter to birth and bring into that man the shepherd he would create. When Jesus was giving the new commandment that they would love, should love one another, he also said he was going away. And Peter said, I'll never leave you. I will always follow you. But Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. But even though Jesus saw the future denial, he also saw a hero in the coward. Hallelujah. Don't you think we'd be like that? And then secondly, Jesus saw the potential of a shepherd in a fisherman. The potential. I just want to remind you of the incredible potential that God sees in you. Hallelujah. You are remarkable. You are remarkably made, crafted and formed together in the image of God. And if you've opened up your life to Christ, his spirit is dwelling and abiding in you. If you have not yet made your decision of faith, I come to you tonight and in the authority of Jesus, I call upon you to make your decision of faith. You know, there is nowhere in the Bible where Jesus begged someone to come to faith. There is nowhere in the Bible where Jesus asks us to call for people with a, an emotional, weak sort of approach. It is a command from God himself to repent, believe, and be born again and receive eternal life. I'm thankful to God that that happened in my life. I never received religion. You know, a lot of people say, Pastor Paul, you are the most unreligious person every we've ever met. You are just not a religious pastor, are you? I said, thanks be to God. <laughs> Glory to God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. But the one thing that matters to me, when you strip all the preaching and what I do aside is that I know Jesus. I know Jesus. And I love him. And something happened in my spirit when I was a young man. And I never forgotten the transformation he brought to me. I hope and pray you've allowed that to happen on your journey. Because Peter was walking through this in real life. It wasn't a movie or a story. He had been with the master. He had seen the compassion. He'd seen the agape love of God before. And yet, when he was at that moment of weakness, he didn't stand. And yet Jesus still saw a potential shepherd in that man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I tell you, think about your life and your future. Hallelujah.
Can we just give a big hand to Paul, my colleague up there, because how he's following me, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> well done, Paul. <laughs> Ah, oh, glory to God. What wisdom we see in Jesus. Peter denied Jesus while standing by a fire. And the intricacy of, of the preparation of Jesus is remarkable. Because we see him offer Peter a wonderful opportunity to replace the thoughts that had damaged his mind, damaged his soul and spirit. You know, I, I've had to walk a very close road with Jesus. And you've probably heard me say this before. The ministry road I've traveled broke my heart and my wife's. I could have so easily said, enough's enough. So easily. But when you see the way that Jesus ministers to this broken and wounded man and brings out of him the fullness of God's purpose, you can see there is potential for you and potential for me. And if all I offer Christ is the man that I am, exactly as I am, saying, Lord, if there's anything you can do with me, go ahead. I am yours. I belong to Christ. I think Peter came to that place. And Jesus gave him the opportunity of replacing the threefold denial with a threefold public declaration of faith while standing by a fire. Hallelujah. Amazing. You say, Pastor, that's really weird that you're so excited about something so small. It wasn't small for Peter. Chapter 21 of John's Gospel begins with Peter and some of the other disciples who'd followed Christ returning to fishing. And it was quite natural for them to return. I mean, Peter had a family. He had to make a living and look after them. And so he went back to what he was good at. And after all, when you think about what would have been in his mind... You can understand why he did that. Because uppermost in Peter's mind was something like this. Oh, well, it's over. I failed. Jesus failed and he's dead. Jesus is returning to the Father and he said, I can't go with him. My... Jesus wouldn't want me as a follower anymore. And maybe I'm speaking under the Spirit now. Just sort me out, bro.
there's also too many people who don't come to Christ because they think their past is too great for God to handle. You've done too much, and that's in your memory. Who are you to come to Jesus? <laughs> You're no different to me, a sinner. Exactly. That's what we are. But thank God, Jesus loves sinners. You know, I used to love watching the old Billy Graham crusades. And, and when he used to play that hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that you bid me come to you, O Lamb of God, I come. I was disappointed when he stopped using that hymn because they said people were being moved emotionally and they weren't really coming through to faith. I don't think that was true at all. And maybe tonight you just need me to remind you that you can come just as you are. Thank you, Lord. Just as you are. And say, Lord, can you do anything with this mess? <laughs> can you? Could you shape something in me of your eternity? Could you make me again like Jesus? Because I denied you. I let you down. I failed you. Why should I have any hope of being a follower of Jesus? And I want to tell you, the door is wide open for you. Exactly as you are. He says, come. Come to the Father. Come to the Father in the name of Jesus. And so Peter then could have said, well, my past has denied me of all my future possibilities. Something you've done, some condition you're in could deny you but not as far as Jesus is concerned. Maybe he would say, well, he wouldn't be willing for me to follow. <coughs> Who would follow me? Everybody knows I failed. I might as well just stick to what I'm doing. My hope has gone. I love this story because early in the morning, Jesus turns up on the shore. And he sees them in the boat fishing. He says, have you caught any fish? He knew they hadn't caught any fish. <laughs> Isn't it marvelous? Not only because he's all-knowing, he's God, but they would have already been in because the fish would have been at market by then. <laughs> but also, he says to them, throw the net on the right side. And the catch was enormous. I think Jesus knew the fish were there supernaturally. But I also know that it was quite common for them to have someone stood in the water, in the shallow, and for the boat to be about 100 meters out. And then as the sun caught the water, the fishermen on the shore could say, drop it on the right side and land the catch. Does it matter? Makes no difference whatsoever. Jesus knew what needed to happen in the hearts and the lives of these men. It was a prophetic image. 
It was the master saying, you're about to become fishes of men. Hallelujah. Fishes of men. And there's a wonderful image there of when Peter jumps out of the boat. Imagine. I think as he approached the Lord, he must have been thinking, do you think there's a possibility of a second chance? Do you think Jesus might actually open his arms towards me and let me run in them again? Do you think Jesus would be willing for me to be still a follower of Christ? And he jumped over the side of the boat because he heard the master's voice and he rushed towards him. When the other disciples arrived, Jesus had already got a fire burning. There was fish and there was bread. Don't you just love the idea and the revelation that the resurrected Jesus ate some fish? Wow. It tells us that there is a physical element to the resurrection body of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. It was him who rose from the dead. And it was him who is now standing with the disciples whom he loved. It reminds me of when the communication takes place in the Godhead. A live coal taken from the throne room of glory has touched my mouth. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the son said, here I am, send me. And there, as they looked at the coals, there was a prophetic image of what would take place in the lives of these men who many would give the ultimate sacrifice. Who shall I go? Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. Hallelujah. What a commission. What a sending. And it was building in this incredible moment around the fire. And then Jesus actually shaped a shepherd in a fisherman. Perhaps Peter needed to go through what he went through, to remove the self and flesh confidence that in the future there would be no pride and there would be a removal of things from the mind and the heart of the man that could distract from the master. He'd come to be dependent upon Jesus. Perhaps Peter, whose name means rock, needed to learn again to stand upon the real rock of Christ. 
And as we move to the climax of the story, turn to your neighbor and say, this pastor's nearly finished. <laughs> we look at 15 onwards. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, that could have been referred, maybe he said this, maybe he stood there and he said to Simon, moving his hands, do you love me more than these, the fishing boats and the nets? Are you willing to leave behind what you return to? But I love the fact that Jesus called him Simon Peter because even in that vocabulary, he was saying to Peter, this is a brand new beginning because that was what he used when he called him the first time. Simon, son of John, follow me. And so immediately, Peter was connecting with the first call of God. I can start again. But maybe he was pointing at all the other disciples because he had said, I'll never let you down, and I'll never leave you. And he did. And he says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you with agape love. Love for Christ causes us to shepherd others with love. Beyond fallen humanity, nature's capability, he says, feed my lambs. And then Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Agape. Yes, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Have you noticed he never said to him, are you willing to be the foundation of the church? <laughs> the Roman Catholics got that a little bit wrong, didn't they? <laughs> oh, yes, they did. Oh, yes, Peter was a rock, but it was the confession of his faith and his love and his sacrifice. But he was pointing to the real rock. Christ is the rock. And upon this confession of faith and love, I'll build my church. And Simon, son of John, do you love me? Phileas, love even in the naturalness of our soul. Supernatural love. But actually, there is more emphasis on the feeding, tending, and caring in the words here. So he's saying, will you shepherd? Will you tend? Will you lead to pasture? So what a call rings out from our hearts today. Lord, would you shape the shepherds in the flock of God? Where we've got it wrong, where we've failed, Lord, would you enable us to pastor with skill, with dedication? It's a great privilege. You know, God will bring many people across your path. You might not have a title but you can pastor them. You can help them. You can love them. You can shepherd them. I was involved in my Uncle Bob's funeral. I shared that with you this morning, just to, last week. And I hadn't been to that area 
for 30 years. And once the internment had been done, which was very emotional for me because my nan is lying here, my aunt is lying there, my uncle is lying there, the family is there. Well, the bodies. And then when we returned, there was some food in the beautiful church building. Many people came in, some I recognized, some I didn't. But they came towards me, and this one particular lady came towards me, and I went like this. It was a lady called Heather. I remember her when I was a little boy, and she would have been maybe 18, and she shadowed my nana in life. She was alone, and my nan took her in. She loved her. My nan's own kids had flown the nest. She had an em empty home. She loved her. She poured Jesus into her. She trained her. And now she is running an amazing center where many, many hundreds of people are coming to Jesus. And I stood there and I thought, thank you, Lord. My nan never had a title. She was an enormous spiritual giant. Oozed Jesus. I learned so much just by watching her, along with my uncle Bob, my dad, and my mom. But there was something about my nan that was unique. I told you about the prayer room with the face of Jesus, with the, the eyes that followed you <laughs> this morning. When you walked into a home, the manifest presence of God was there all the time. Hallelujah. There's no shortcuts to that. And there's no shortcuts to carrying the manifest presence of God all the time. But do you know something? I held the hands of that lovely lady. She looked at me in the eyes and she said, it was you, Nan who poured Christ into me. And afterwards, I was thinking about it. I thought, Lord, that's all I want to do. That's all we should be doing. Like shepherds who love the flock, who love the sheep, pour the love of God. Jesus simply said, do you love me? Then love the sheep. Do you love me? Feed the sheep. You are carrying so much already. And the church is distracted by her own problems. I remember when Lewis saying to me, I loved Wynn. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? A little bit. 
They used to say to me, it's time we had pastors without any personal problems. <laughs> Hallelujah. Too many pastors are needing counseling. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but actually, when you, you think about it, it's true. Because you see, we carry the counselor. But there's always going to be issues and problems in life and things we're handling, but we are carrying the personal counselor. He's called the Holy Ghost. He will lead you into all truth. He will guide you. He will keep you. Jesus is your protector. The angels of glory are overshadowing you, and you've been called for such a time as this. And that's not a cliche. Hallelujah. That's the truth. And I'm praying tonight that the call of God will come alive in you once again. Because somewhere on the journey, something happened and robbed you of the freedom in your spirit to be and to do what God called you to do. That was the experience of Peter. He failed. It's time to let the failure be covered under the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Whether it's before you were walking with Jesus or some failure while you've been walking with him, there is power in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Power. Wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. It brings you freedom. Don't allow the devil to torment you in your mind. Listen. Let this mind that was also in Christ Jesus be also in you. Think with the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Don't self-assess. Don't let the spirit of the world mark you. Don't let it diagnose you. Let the word diagnose you. Hallelujah. He is the great physician. Hallelujah. Turn to Dr. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And so right now, interesting that Peter said, what about him? <laughs> yeah. He tried to sidestep. Okay, Lord, you've said enough. Get, let's get the focus off me now. Let's talk about somebody else. I'm feeling uncomfortable right now. And pastor, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Tough. Because <laughs> he couldn't do what John could do. John was filled with a wisdom 
that Peter wouldn't carry. He couldn't do what Paul was going to do because Paul would travel the world. Peter wouldn't. But I tell you what, he became an incredible shepherd. An incredible shepherd in the early church. Marvelous. Marvelous. Lord, I'm 61 next. Can you do anything with the mess? <laughs> we humble our hearts tonight. And we say, Lord, whatever the past, right now in the present, let your purpose come. And that purpose tonight may well be for you to come to Jesus. Come to the Father. It could be tonight that you are sensing the call of God. You know, if you're studying and you're training, can I implore you? When Miriam and I went into Bible college, I'd already been full-time in the ministry before I went. And then I said to my wife, Miriam, we're selling everything. <laughs> How marvelous. <laughs> I went from, I took my wife and kids breaks my heart but had to be done we sold an incredible house Yorkshire stone a, a bungalow with half an acre And I took them to one room. Five of us. With a little desk in the corner. And a little light while my children slept. I didn't study a book. I let Jesus study me. That's what happened to Peter. <clears throat> so easy to become a fathead, full of theological nonsense. That's a theory. I went and sought the anointing. And then I found out what the cost was. Peter became a wonderful shepherd and I pray tonight that I can simply be a shepherd to you and point you to the chief shepherd.
the good shepherd, that great shepherd of the sheep. I pray in the name of Jesus that the seed of God's eternal word will do more than make you walk out saying, that was a good meeting. But eternal change would come. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.